Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness. Thanks for your love and your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we pray that you just speak to our hearts tonight by your Holy Spirit through just these simple passages in your word. So have your way with us, please. Guide us and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is kind of a funny little dynamic that Nate and I have. Um, so he says, hey, I'm going to be gone on uh, August the 10th. I'm like, is that my problem? <laughs> Apparently it is. So uh, he says, uh, I said, so, I mean, like, so last week he did what? What did he do last week? Luke. He did Luke. So this week might be John. I said, so you want me to do John? Or are you kind of like hyper-territorial about John? You want me to do something like different, and you come back and do John next week? What do you think he said? I'm hyper-territorial about John. You'd come back, and I'll come back and do John next week. No, he didn't say hyper-territorial. Uh, but anyway, he said, hey, why don't you just do something different? Because in, in his mind, he's kind of got a thing going, and I get that. Sometimes I do that on Sundays uh, when I'm gone. So, um, so I thought about it, and I was praying about it. So... Uh, he went through Matthew, and then he went through Mark, and then he went through Luke, right? And those we would call the synoptic Gospels. You've learned from what he's told you. And sometimes I think maybe in our Christian life, we know better than this, but maybe sometimes we don't read the Bible like this. Sometimes it feels like Jesus showed up in Matthew chapter 1. Does that make sense? When did Jesus show up? Before Genesis 1-1. Right? When's Jesus going to go away? Never, ever, ever. Right? So he didn't just show up in Matthew chapter 1. So I thought it might be a fun little journey to see some examples of when he showed up before Matthew 1. Is that fair? So there's a, a theologians have a $3 word for these things because they always make up $3 words so they can write books. And uh, the $3 word is a Christophany, okay, Christ-ophany, whatever ophany means. <laughs> Let's say it means appearance, a Christ appearance, okay? So Jesus shows up as a man in the Old Testament several times. Now, to be fair, you know, you Google these, what are Christophanies, what are they in the Bible, and, and sometimes referred to as a theophany, theo means God, Sometimes there's a theophany in the Old Testament. And so sometimes it's a little hard to tell. Like uh, uh, Google sometimes might say that when the, when, when the burning bush appeared to Moses, right, that was a theophany. So God was there, right? Now, do we know that that was physically Jesus or was it God the Father? I'm not going to tear apart the Trinity that, that, that much. Is that fair? But I think there are, so we could say that was Jesus. We could say it was God. We could say, you know, it was the voice of the Lord in the burning bush. But so I want to maybe hone in on, if you will, those appearances where there's a man. And as you read through, you're like, wait a minute, that's not just a man. Okay. And hopefully as we go through this, we'll glean the idea that, that what I want us to take home from this is, Jesus has always been around. And as we read these, these things, I want us to take note of the situations where he tends to show up. And then ask yourself, what is he aware of, right? 
these situations tend to be, tend, tend to be situations where people really kind of need him to show up, right? Or are super encouraged when he shows up. And so to me, it's a great encouragement. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you'll need them tonight. We'll, we're going to do some, we're going to do some flipping, okay? Not flipping out, just flipping. Genesis chapter 16. Verse 5. <clears throat> the story here is uh, God told Abraham, you're going to have a son, right? You know the story. Abraham said, that's awesome. And uh, much like us, Abraham and Sarah waited around for a few years. It didn't happen on their timing. And so they got this uh, servant girl that they picked up in Egypt the last time they floundered in their faith. And... Um, uh, the servant girl's name was Hagar, and so Sarah said, I think that what God really meant was you and Hagar are supposed to have a baby, which was actually normal in that culture. Beware of normal in the culture that you live in. And so uh, that was normal in the culture. Maybe, maybe what God really meant was that you and Hagar are supposed to have a baby, and sure enough, they did, and his name was Ishmael. Then God says, no, 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 you and Sarah are going to have a baby. His name is Isaac, and next thing you know, you got some contention right? So you got contention in the home, um, and uh, basically Hagar uh, is causing issues here. So chapter 16 of Genesis, verse 5. Then Sarah said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge, the Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is, as your, is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. So who's here? The angel of the Lord. All right. So when you see that the angel of the Lord... Maybe heads up a little bit. This is uh, it's capitalized angel. Obviously, the you know the original manuscripts didn't didn't necessarily do that. That's translators have done that for us. And I want you to notice also the angel of the Lord. Your Bible says capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. See that? Okay, that's different than capital L, O R D. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is Yahweh. Okay, so we're talking about we're talking about God. Um, and the angel of the Lord is a common phrase sometimes used to describe uh, a bodily appearance of God. So, uh, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on, her, on the way to Shur, and he said, so this angel of the Lord speaks. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Now, What's Hagar doing? She's fled, right? But she's talking to this guy, right? If this were some, like, guy with a halo around his head, or if he was glowing, or if, you know, he had a big sign across his forehead that said, Jesus, you would think she would make some kind of mention of it. But she's, actually, she's talking to him just like he's some guy, right? Like she doesn't realize who he really is. And she says, uh, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, 
return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. So I'm sorry, this was before. This was just when she was pregnant. Because the Lord has heard your affliction, he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? So this is clearly appearance of somebody other than just an angel, right? This is Jesus. And Jesus prophesies about the child that she'll bear, Ishmael. Uh, interestingly, he'll be a wild man. Uh, his descendants are, you know, going to be uh, antagonistic to the descendants of uh, Isaac. And that still persists today. And even as recently as this week. And um, there you have that. But Hagar recognizes that this is the angel of the Lord. This is none other than Jesus Christ. So she doesn't really articulate, you are Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We know that from the context of the overall Bible, right? But this is clearly an appearance uh, of Jesus. And again, notice, when does Jesus meet with... Does, first of all, is Jesus' appearance only to the Jews, right? This is to Hagar. Is Jesus' appearance only to those that are you know, all clean and perfect. No. Is Jesus' appearance only to somebody when they're, when they're on top of their game? No. This is Hagar when she needs encouragement. Um, Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord appeared to him, that being Abraham, by the terebinth tree of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. Who appeared to Abraham? The Lord. So he lifted his eyes and behold, and looked and behold, three men were standing by him. So is this the Lord or is this three men? Yes. All right. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, my Lord. And notice that's a small O-R-D. Okay. So when these guys first show up, again, these guys, when the Lord shows up, he shows up very often sort of unassuming. Does that make sense? And he sort of reveals himself as he goes. Okay? I think that's a fascinating maybe principle for us. So he says, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Hospitality was a huge deal in the ancient world. And for Abraham to have three guys come and show up, uh, he is socially very obligated to uh, offer them hospitality. He said, I'll bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by in as much as you've come to my servant. And they said, sure. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make some three measures of fine meal, knead it, make some cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man. He hastened to prepare it. He took, also took butter and milk and the calf, which he prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Now that was just um, three verses, but that was a big afternoon, right? You imagine? Hey, Sarah, make some bread. 
And while you're at it, I'm going to go kill a, a calf and get a little milk and we'll cook it up. Then they said to him, hey, where's Sarah, your wife? He said, here in the tent. And he said, wait a minute, are we talking about three guys? He says, and they said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? That's three guys, plural. And then, yeah, here in the tent. And he said, so we're seeing the scripture make a little distinction. I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. Behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Sarah was listening in the tent, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord, what's that, how's that spelled? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord said to Abraham, Hey, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child, since I am old? Is anything too hard for the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? Is anything, let me ask this tonight, is there anything too hard for him? Anything. Giving birth to a 90-year-old lady, uh, lady given birth, is that too hard for him? No. Are the things we go through too hard for him? No. We know that, but we need to know that, right? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. I love this. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. You ever argue with the Lord? Right? I didn't say that. To which he would say, no, but you did laugh. Right? So, then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them and said to them on the way, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So what happens? How many guys showed up at Abraham's front door? Three. Three. And then uh, chapter 16, I'm sorry, chapter 18, verse 16, the men and then verse 17, and the Lord, right? So we've got a little bit of a distinction. If you look at chapter 19, verse 1, now the, how many angels? Two angels came to Sodom in the evening. How many people showed up at Abraham's door? Three. How many made it to Sodom? Two. Math. Three minus two. How many are left? One. Who is he? Jesus. And so you know the story. Jesus hanging there talking to Abraham, letting him know what he's going to do to Sodom. And Abraham kind of negotiates him down to, I think, uh, if there are not ten uh, righteous people in Sodom, will you still destroy it? And he said, if I find ten, I won't destroy it. And sure enough, we know the story. He didn't fight ten. Right? So here you've got a situation maybe where the Lord shows up, reveals to Abraham what he's about to do, so Abraham will understand that could be traumatic in Abraham's mind, right? The city where his nephew Lot went, and sure enough, that city's going to be destroyed. Turn over to Genesis chapter 32. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob has a lot of drama in his life. And we find him uh, a little later in life. Now he's married, he's got two wives, a couple of their servants, big family, the whole nine yards. And he's coming back home 
to meet up with Esau, who he manipulated into getting his father's blessing uh, about 20 years prior. And so he's afraid to come face to face with Esau. Is this a crisis moment for Jacob? You bet it is. You bet it is. What do you need in the middle of a good crisis? A good wrestling match, right? That'll go all night long. Is that what you need in the middle of a good crisis? As you're facing a good crisis, you're really afraid. You need to wrestle with God all night long, right? Is that what you need? Not, you might, maybe you do, but you don't realize it, right? Oftentimes God will deal with us in ways that we don't expect or we don't think that's how God ought to do it. But God has his way of doing it, right? And God's way of doing it is always the right way of doing it. So Genesis chapter 32, starting in verse 22. And he, Jacob, arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over, to, over the brook, and sent over what he had. So he's sending them all ahead. So, you know, in case Esau wants to fight, the family will be uh, preserved. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, the translators did us a favor again, and they capitalized that word man, right? Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, those are capitalized, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So by the end of this wrestling match all night long, Jacob realizes he's been wrestling with God, right? God in man form, we would call that Jesus, right? But here's the other thing. When it's all said and done, Jesus blesses Jacob, right? Jesus blesses Jacob, even though Jacob comes out of this injured and worn out. And if you were Jacob by the morning time, would you say, that was weird. I don't know what God was doing. Is that fair? I read it. I've read it a million times. And every time I read it, I say, that's weird. I just don't know what God is doing. Here's my next question. Does God ever do something? And you say, that's weird. I don't know what God is doing. Right? But I like the fact that when it's all said and done, Jacob is worn down to the point that he quits wrestling. The reality is, in a very real sense, if you read the life of Jacob, he's been wrestling with God all of his life. He's been wrestling with the purposes of God all of his life. He's been trying to manipulate and get the upper hand and work God and work this situation and work every human being that he comes into contact with. And sometimes he comes out on top and sometimes he doesn't. It just seems like life is just a big wrestling match. And here he is wrestling with God himself. And God says to him, you've prevailed. You've prevailed. You have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed.
That's really the story of Jacob's life, right? But he's prevailed because God allowed him to prevail, right? And so sometimes as God works in our lives, we don't know what God is doing. We can't figure out what God is doing, but it's good. And we would do well to surrender to God. Sometimes we could save ourselves an all-night struggling match, right? Or a lifetime of struggling matches if we would just surrender to God. So fast forward, uh, Joshua chapter 5. Past Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Chapter 5. So, the Israelites have crossed in uh, to the Promised Land, uh, crossed over the Jordan River under the leadership of Joshua. Moses is now dead. Joshua and Caleb are the only two from way back at Kanesh Barnea, the spies generation, that are still alive uh, amongst the children of Israel. And they've crossed over. Uh, they've gotten themselves all ready. They've circumcised themselves. They've uh, gotten ready for battle. They're getting ready to go uh, march around Jericho and conquer Jericho. But before they take the promised land, with Jericho being the first conquest, Joshua's got this weird experience, chapter 5, verse 13. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man, again the translators are helping us out, capital man, stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Again, that's kind of weird, right? With his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or, against, or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Notice this. Joshua knows, what he's knows who he's talking to. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So this is an appearance of Jesus, right? What's he telling Joshua? Hey, by the way, I know you just crossed the, prom crossed the Jordan River. You're in the promised land. I know that you're worried and you're a little bit uptight about trying to conquer this whole land. You're clearly outnumbered. You're outpowered and all that, and I want you to know that I, as the commander of the Lord's army, am here to fight on your behalf. What does Joshua do? He bows down and worships, right? Whenever you see somebody, you know, Apostle John bows down and worships, to an, worships an angel, right, in the book of Revelation. He says, don't do that. I'm just an angel, right? So worship only goes to God. And furthermore, uh, this man says, by the way, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. When was the last time somebody was told to take off their sandals because they were on holy ground? Moses at the burning bush, right? Why? Because the presence of God was there. The presence of God is right here, and his name is Jesus, right? Again, is Jesus fully God? Yeah. yeah. So classic example right here. You got a man standing there in front of Joshua. He receives worship, and he tells Joshua to take off his sandals because he's on holy ground. And by the way, he's there to let him know, I'm going to be fighting for you. Who fights our battles? The Lord. the Lord. We don't have to wrestle all night with him. If we just surrender to him, he's the commander of the Lord's army. 
right? Turn over to the right, Judges chapter 6. So the Israelites go in, uh, they conquer the land, then there's a time of the judges. After the time of Joshua, Gideon becomes one of the judges. Chapter 6, he's they're oppressed by the Midianites. Gideon's a little bit intimidated. Well, he's a lot intimidated. And chapter 6, verse 11, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites. And so these guys were so oppressed by the Midianites that even like their, their, their harvesting, they would do it kind of in, uh, in hidden places. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Well, it's an ironic statement because Gideon's literally hiding right now. And uh, he's hanging out. He's timid. He's, he's afraid. He's all of that. And the Lord identifies him as the mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Then the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, can I, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, I, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from me here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So we know Gideon is a guy. Remember Gideon, you know, he put out the fleece and said, hey, sorry, Lord, can you give me one more confirmation? Can you give me one more confirmation? Can you give me one more confirmation? That's kind of the man Gideon was. He always needed reassurance. Do we ever need reassurance? Right? Do we see, do we see the Lord beat him up over his need for reassurance? No. He calls him a mighty man of valor. He tries to encourage him, even in his weakness. And Gideon says, can you show me a sign? And so Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from it, ephah of flour. He put the meat he put in a basket and he put the broth on a pot and he brought them out, out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on the rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put the end of the staff that was in his hand, touched the meat with the unleavened, and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed from his sight. That'd be crazy, right? Gideon goes, gets his meat, gets his offering, gets his bread, lays it out on the rock. The Lord takes a stick, touches it, it's consumed, and the Lord goes up into the cloud. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Nice insight, right? So Gideon said, Alas, the Lord God, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it's still in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. 
So the Lord shows up. That's Jesus Christ showing up. And what's he doing? He's there to encourage Gideon. Judges chapter 13. And we're almost done. Judges chapter 13. Again, the the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there's a a certain man of Zorah, the family of Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, nor to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to, to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. He said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink. He shall be a Nazarite. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, and said, O oh, my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we, will, what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And then the woman ran to, in haste, told her husband, and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day just now appeared to me. So Manoah rose and followed his wife, came to the man, said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? He said, I am kind of a real description of who he was. Manoah said, let, now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor, shall, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor anything unclean. All that I command, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and we will prepare a young goat. The angel of the Lord said, though you detain me, I will not eat food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. So again, as you read on, um, verse 20, it happened as the flame went upward toward heaven from the altar. The angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And so similar to what happened to Gideon. And Manoah um, said, you know, surely that was the angel of the Lord, right? So in this case, the angel of the Lord shows up. Jesus shows up to prepare them to be the parents of none other than Samson, who is going to have a challenging life with the Philistines, right? One more. Everybody got room for one more? Daniel, chapter 3. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, you may recall, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has this dream of this great and mighty statue. The top of it was gold. Daniel's interpretation was, hey, the gold part is you, but there's going to be these other kingdoms after you. So Nebuchadnezzar, not unlike Jacob, I guess, as I think about it, tries to sort of circumvent that, manipulate his own way. He said, how about the whole thing be gold? And he makes his own six cubit high, I'm sorry, 60 cubits high, which would be 90 feet high, 
and nine feet wide gold statue, right, representing him. And so uh, he wants everybody to bow down. You know the story. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they won't bow down. So they get thrown into the fiery furnace. That's what I thought you said. Fiery furnace. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <coughs> he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, cast them into the fiery furnace. These men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar has these three guys tied up, bound, in their clothes, thrown into the fiery furnace, right? Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the, the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's how hot it was. So the guys that threw them in, they died. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound, into the midst of the, burn, of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Didn't we cast three men bound into the furnace of the fire? And they answered and said, Yes, true, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like what? The Son of God. The Son of God. Even Nebuchadnezzar. Check this out. Philippians chapter 2. Who's going to one day acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord? Everybody. Everybody. So, Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan, nasty king, looks in there and says, hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? And shouldn't they be dead by now? Well, they're all walking around, and as a matter of fact, there's four of them. As a matter of fact, the fourth guy looks like the Son of God. I don't know what he would have looked like, but it was enough that Nebuchadnezzar could recognize him. It's a great picture, right? You think, Nebuch you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have used some encouragement in that moment? Right? You wonder what they were talking about, walking around in there? He said, these guys are walking around in there. That would have been amazing. So, did, she, did Jesus show up in Matthew chapter 1? Yeah, but he showed up way before then, right? And when does he show up? Well, first of all, he's always there. But it's, I think it's no coincidence in the Scripture that he shows up in the Scripture at times when people are in crisis, when people need encouragement. Maybe peace, people need to be wrestled with a little bit. Maybe people need to be told of things to come. And we don't know what our needs are as well as he does, but he knows that thing, right? So Jesus is always there. He's always been. He'll always be. He's near to us, not just distant in the heavens, not just showing up in Matthew 1 and ending in John 21, right? He's always there, and he's always there for whatever it is that we need, right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you're always here for us. You know our needs better than we do, Lord. You know 
where we need encouragement better than we do. You know the things that we need to be informed of better than we do. And we know that sometimes you work in ways that we don't fully understand. And yet, Lord, we are so thankful that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you never change, and that you always meet our needs, whatever they may be. And so, Lord, we look to you. We look to you, Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And we thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.